And welcome, Hoosier fans, to this week's edition of Banner Monday, where we begin the week the best way we know how by talking Indiana basketball and Big Ten hoops. I'm the coach, Brian Tonsoni, and I'll be here with Mike DeCourcy. But first, a, a couple of quick housekeeping notes off the top. Number one, uh, in this time, keep supporting our friends at Homefield Apparel at homefieldapparel.com. Promo code ASSEMBLY20 for what they do in the Indianapolis local community and outside of it in supporting people in this time of need. Uh, the second reminder is if you want to support your local food banks, uh, go to foodpantries.org backslash or feedingamerica.org, again, to help those in need uh, during this uh, fight against the virus. And a reminder also every Thursday night, uh, Ryan and the gang uh, and Jared and Andy uh, on Assembly Call Radio every Thursday night, 9 o'clock Eastern. And also look for the Crimson Cast uh, podcast as we have partners up with them. But now I'm pleased to welcome in from the Big Ten Network, the Sporting News, and Fox, one of the hardest working men in college hoops. And even where, when there are no college hoops to cover, it's the venerable Mike DeCourcy. Mike, how are you doing on this Monday? I am well, Brian. How are you? I'm doing well as, as time passes and hopefully safely we're starting to see a little bit of uh, an opportunity to get some sports back into our life. So um, hoping and that everyone, including you and, and your family, are safe as we go forward. But uh, we're going to talk a little bit about off-season topics, which sometimes are hard to uh, to find as you do we do a podcast every week and we talk every week um and then especially with this coronavirus but let's talk a little bit about schedule and schedule building uh, from your perspective the nca came out with some new um scheduling items where you can schedule 28 plus three tournament games uh and or 29 and two tournament games what that basically does for a major college basketball is you have your league games plus a non-conference schedule. For the Big Ten and Indiana University, that is 20 league games, which leaves 11 non-conference games to be scheduled. We have seen across the nation, Mike, some teams that go soft and only play two or three real tough opponents, and some uh, even inside the Big Ten who will play seven or eight big-time tough opponents in the non-conference. And you and I both do some bracketology, and so you could take this from whatever perspective you want, a bracketologist, a a sports writer covering, or just a a fan of the game. But what do you believe colleges should do, and does it depend on, obviously, makeup of the team and so forth, but in scheduling their non-conference opponents, what, what thoughts do you have on scheduling? Well, I think the first thing that needs to be understood is that most schedule analysis slash criticism that's done by sports writers, unfortunately, is done from the perspective of give me something to watch. That's the first problem. It's not about what is best for your team. It is if you are playing teams that I am not interested in, I am not interested. Therefore, it's bad. And that's not the way that any coach should or does schedule. They schedule for to, to build the best possible challenge, series of challenges for their team and ultimately to get into the NCAA tournament. Those are those their two primary concerns. And what a sports writer thinks about who's got the toughest schedule doesn't matter at all. What a computer thinks matters, but what a sports writer thinks or a, sport, or a, or a sports commentator thinks doesn't matter and shouldn't. And when I've looked at scheduling, I remember in 1991, 92, when Sean Miller was 
a fifth-year senior point guard at Pitt. I was covering the Panthers for the Pittsburgh Press at the time. And they wound up playing one of the most difficult schedules that I can remember. They played almost no gimme games, so to speak. Uh, they, they, played, they played in the, uh, in the preseason IT that year. And so they won a game, I think, against Siena, maybe, which was a pretty good team. And then they played at Kentucky and pulled an upset. So then they go to New York and I think they played Oklahoma State, Texas. And then they went from there to Hartford for the ACC Big Ten Challenge and played NC State. And it was and it was just a series of that. And then they got into a very challenging Big East. And by the end of the year, that team was completely spent. And what what promise they had was was wrung out of them by a schedule that was too good for their team. And I think over time, what I've developed in my mind is that you should start with a base of one seriously difficult home game, one seriously difficult neutral game, one seriously difficult road game. And then the rest of it should be basically built according to the nature of your team. If you don't play, if you're a real team and don't play at least one of the, each of those, you're probably not doing it right. It, you, you should have at least one of those by the time you get to conference play or by the time you get fully into conference play. I mean, you may not have one of each of those categories with the way leagues are now by the time you get to that first December window. But by the time you get into January, you should at least have one in each of those categories. If you have a significant veteran established team, that was a big winner a year ago and is all back more or less intact, then you know you have to schedule your team at a more challenging level just because they'll get bored. I mean, if you give them too many bye games, they're going to get bored. And and you're not going to get improvement because they'll get bored with things that they know they can do. Uh, When I covered Cincinnati in the mid-90s, I mean, almost every bye game was the same game. They'd come out, they'd play hard, they'd play seriously. They would wreck the other team so badly that the other team completely forgot they were playing basketball. They'd be up 25 or whatever. And then the Bearcats would get bored in the second half and they wouldn't play very hard. And the other team would make a run because they'd throw in a couple threes. And then eventually the Bearcats would play just hard enough to get it back to maybe what the halftime margin was. And then Huggins would come in after the game and, and yell about how his team didn't take things seriously. I mean, I, I, I could practically do the rant by by rote, you know, I heard so many times, and so you have to you have to challenge your team so that they don't get that level of boredom. If you have a lot, if you if you have a team that is developing, and I think I would put Indiana in this category, you can't overwhelm them because they still need to learn what it means to be great. They know how to win now. I mean, they've they've got enough guys who have been winners. They didn't get to the tournament because it didn't happen, but they would have. So they've got enough, they know they have enough guys who know more or less how to win, but they also know how to lose. I mean, they, they they lost that Arkansas game, for instance, a game they should easily have won, not because Arkansas wasn't pretty good, but because they had the game in control and they stopped doing the things that got the game in control. So they know how to lose as well. So you have to you have to build that up a little bit. And so you don't want to overwhelm them, but you still don't want you still need enough challenges that if you, you know, if 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 you push the right buttons and they, and they push the right buttons, then your significant potential doesn't turn into, yeah, but they didn't play anybody. And then you have the teams, and I'm not sure who would fit that cat, this category um, off the top of my head 
and the Big Ten. Um, I'm just, you know, I, Michigan State's in transition. I think everybody is enough in transition, lost enough, that I'm not sure if anybody quite fits this. Rutgers probably comes closest, but they haven't really won at a high level yet either. So I'm not sure whether there's a team in the, the Big Ten that fits, fits that category. But let's say Gonzaga. Uh, well, Gonzaga doesn't work because they have a uh, you know a lesser league schedule. Okay, Villanova, they they they're loaded. So Villanova, they need a steady series of challenges, one after the other after the other. Very little exercise in between. Maybe a little get, get them going, but they they need to play a steady series of challenges because they know they're terrific and they know they're going to contend for the national championship and they want the best possible seed. So you don't want to overwhelm them either, but a couple of bye games, maybe three is probably enough for them. And of course they have the advantage of playing in the big five where they know they can look, get a look. I mean, if St. Joe's for instance, and I don't know what they shape up like next year, but if they come into next year as bad as they were this year, um, that can equate to the buy game that the easy buy game that they that you might ordinarily schedule, they already know it's on there because they're playing in the big five. Uh, Whereas Temple, you know, might be a a middling game or something like that. So that, that, that's, that's the three levels of teams that you have to consider, which you have. And again, it all comes down to schedule strength rating uh, and, and making sure that your team is polished and, and, and ready for conference play. And lastly, uh, the idea of being well seated in the NCAA tournament. And I can go back to when Ben Howland was at Pitt and Jamie Dixon took over. I mean, they played notoriously bad schedules at Pitt uh, and were constantly destroyed for it uh, in, ter- in the media. And yet, really, in the end, if you looked at the seeds that they got when they were good, it usually only made a difference of about one seed line. And, and did that make a difference to them. I mean, in 2004, if they'd have been the two, they wouldn't have had to play Oak state in the sweet 16. Maybe they go further, who knows, but they also won the big, you know, they won the big East that year and all that, you know, big East tournament. And so I'm, I'm not sure that, uh, that it was enough. It would have been better if they played a bit more challenging probably, but not enough to get the hysteria that you sometimes get with schedule criticism. Uh, the, the last thing I will say is, when you are a team that has what I call scheduling power, you need to use it. And I think Indiana has scheduling power that it has not used over the last decade or so. Indiana is, is still Indiana. I mean, it, it hasn't performed at the level that it maybe historically has or, or aspires to over the last 10 or 15 years, but it, it still has a great tradition a you know a, a, a television network that assures that the opponent will be televised nationally. It has it has uh, you know a great building that visiting players want to play in. So I, I think you need to invest in that. Invest in if it costs you a little bit more money to buy a game. That okay you know it's not that you know no one's asking for a half million you know it might be another twenty thirty thousand whatever but you've got to use that power. Now you don't have as much scheduling power as Duke does right now because Duke has been better recently and has a has a bigger brand now. But you still have more than most of the teams in your conference. Not all, but most. 
Uh, and so you need to use that. And, and, and what I mean by that is if you're going out to do a buy game, you shouldn't be buying number 300. I mean, you, you should be able to do better than that. And I think we're seeing to an extent an improvement in what we've seen of their non-conference schedule and their, and their buy games. I, I have Robert Morris down as a game. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a good game to schedule. Robert Morris won their league last year. Uh, it's not going to get you a, a super high uh, schedule strength rate or, a, you know, our net rating or whatever. They, they, they don't bring that in because they play in one of the lighter leagues. Uh, the Northeast is probably a bottom five league, bottom seven league. So, um, so that's, but they're, but they were, they were the champions in, in the tournament of that league last year. They're usually up near the top of that league. Andy tool does a great job. That's the kind of game you got to schedule more often or better. I mean, the, who, you know, get the champion of the summit league or one of the contenders, get the champion of the horizon league or one of the, contenders. you play Northern Kentucky, you know, I mean, the, the, those kinds of teams, right state. Uh, those are, those are teams that you should be eagerly trying to schedule. Uh, and, and I think you can get those games because in your current mode of development, they're going to think they got a shot. You haven't proven yet that they're going to come in just to look around at the at the banners like like they do when they go to Duke. You haven't proven that yet. So they're I think they'll I think you can get some of those teams to take that game because they're going to come in thinking they have a shot to beat you. I, I think this year Indiana will be better and probably won't lose games like that or be likely to. But I think you can get that game, and I'm not necessarily in Northern Kentucky, but that kind of team. That, that can help increase your schedule strength rating so that when you do well, your, your net ranking goes up, your, your schedule strength rating goes up, and you're more fondly considered by the members of the selection committee. Yeah, Indiana right now has five games with the Maui Classic, uh, the Crossroads, and the ACC already baked into their schedule, and a possibility for the Gavit games, which would put yes. six quality uh, teams on their schedule out of 11. You've mentioned Robert Morris. They have Omaha out of the Summit League, uh, and they played uh, South Dakota State last year out of the Summit League. And, and everyone was upset with Indiana because of their, quote, cupcake schedule. But what they did, and when I looked into it, is they took leagues that were like 19 through 23 and took teams that were in the top half of that to, to bring in. Maybe not name recognition for fans, uh, but they turned out to have above 500 conference records. And when you looked at Indiana's strength of schedule at the end of the year, a lot of fans were surprised that it was ranked um, higher, uh, you know, high. And so with right now, Indiana either has three or four games left to fill, depending on whether they play in the Gavit games. What they're missing is that one marquee game that you said at home, because I believe there's, they're in rotation to be on the road in the ACC. They're in rotation to be on road in the Gavit. I know those things can change and there aren't, set in stone but uh, that would be all six of those games being on the road uh, they need to for their fans and maybe you know then they schedule a marquee game at seven out of 11 marquee games is is, is that okay for Indiana to go that deep into that um, to get that home game well I do think you need to you need to have so you know remember you are quote in the entertainment business and so you're trying to sell tickets and I mean if anybody does this year you have to go into it with this, with the assumption that you're going to sell tickets this year. Uh, and, and so you do want to have for your season ticket holders, you know, something to, to chew on, so to speak, you want to have a little bit of meat on that bone. And so 
Yeah, I think I, I think the trying to play a name top team, uh, it doesn't have to be Duke or Carolina or whatever, but somebody uh, from another conference that people would get excited about. Uh, I'm trying to, you know, let, let's say uh, Xavier, just to use it. And, you know, they've been good. Uh, they, they've been, you know, they're a team that your fans should get excited about. In the way that Marquette was a couple of years ago, that might have been a Gavit game. It might have been, but I mean, it was a home game and a chance to uh, see a good quality team at Assembly Hall. But that's sort of opponent, I think. And if you can do better than that, great. But uh, I, I think that 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 level of opposition is is good for Indiana at this point. Uh, and I don't think that it would be, you know, again, especially in an era when regional travel might not be a bad thing. I mean, a trip to Cincinnati on the bus might not be so bad. And so that brings us to the Big Ten schedule, which is not a round robin, obviously, because uh, of the number of teams. But it's it was difficult to win on the road, and and from a bracketology uh, vantage point, road wins seem to be important uh, recently. Uh, Rutgers was running up against it. Indiana was running up against it in their consideration for a seed line uh, of winning on the road. Yet winning in the Big Ten. So how hard is it to win in the Big Ten right now? Uh, and does that do you see that changing year to year, or was it just a a, a year last year where man it was? it was really difficult for anyone to, to, to win on the road. And then that also does eventually affect your non-conference schedule too, because you're playing 20 juggernaut games. Um, you know, I think the bottom teams are going to be better and not just win two or three as well next year. So I, I kind of see this continuing uh, into next year's schedule. Uh, but, but how hard is it to win in the Big Ten on the road? It really is difficult. In the Big Ten, more than any other league, uh, not, uh, especially, especially when you go one to 14, the the problem that you have in the Big Ten that you that State Kentucky doesn't have uh, in a lot of cases uh, when it goes on the road or other members of the SEC when they go on the road when Kentucky goes on the road uh, there's a lot there are a lot of occasions where their fans can invade because they traditionally some of the opposition doesn't traditionally sell out or come close to it on a season ticket basis now that not the case at at uh, at Florida for instance but it is the case and a lot of their op- opponents in the SEC so that they can invade and, and neutral out the crowd a little bit so it's not as bad. And other teams in the SEC will play against a smaller house. In the, in the Big Ten, that doesn't happen very often. It, the Big Ten has led the nation in attendance for like almost like 35 years in a row. And that's not just, be, you know, it's not because they have the biggest buildings. I mean, they have plenty of nice sized buildings. But it's also true. It's also the capacity, the, the the percentage of capacity you're filling. So many full houses you're playing against, and it makes it more difficult than in a lot of conferences. And so, as a result, it, it becomes very difficult for everyone to win on on the road. And teams understand there starts to become this mentality. Well, it's going to be hard to get on get on on the road, so we have to win every home game. And they and they and they invest more in more desperation into winning that home game because they know it's going to be hard to get one on the road. I went through uh, the Big Ten and not just a, just on a overall basis, not just within the Big Ten, but on on an overall basis, there was only one team in the Big Ten last year that had a winning conference record, and that was Michigan State. Every other team was five hundred or below, and that, like I said, that's not just conference play; that's all play. Uh, because p- winning on the road in the Big Ten is so difficult that it's hard to to finish over 500 as a road team, 
even overall. I, I don't think that's going to change. I, it's hard to say at this point that the league will be as strong at the top as it was this year, but I expect the depth of the league to come close to matching what it did this year, maybe maybe even surpassing, because we had two bad teams in the, in the Big Ten this year with Nebraska and Northwestern. Might not be any next year. I mean, Northwestern's going to be a year older. All their guys are back, basically. They still have some things they probably have to polish up a little bit, but I think they can be more competitive than they were a year ago. Nebraska's got a lot of transfers. Don't know how that works out, but Fred's a heck of a coach, and so they have a chance to be better. And I don't see a huge backslide in a lot of places. Minnesota is going to lose Daniel Oturu, uh, but they have a lot of players back. They have some players coming in, a chance to at least tread water from a from an overall standpoint, maybe improve. We'll see. So I don't see that backsliding. So I think it's going to be just as difficult in a lot of ways to win on the road next year in the Big Ten. And as a result, uh, you do like like I said, you do have to measure how much you challenge your team out of conference relative to how much you expect them to achieve. So you mentioned Michigan State having a winning record on the road. I, I remember Illinois had a good run where they beat people on the road um, last year. Uh, on the other hand, Indiana struggled. I mentioned Rutgers uh, until their win at Purdue. That might have been something that kept them out of the NCAA tournament, even though they had a, a solid year. What kind of team, makeup-wise, um, in general, is needed to win in this kind of environment on, on the, in the Big Ten? I think toughness, first of all, is mental, mental and physical toughness are really important. If you look at some of the teams that did well on the road last year, and Michigan State is a team that we all associate with toughness uh, in both physical and mental toughness. And, and so not surprising that they would be able to go and win on the road. You know, I, I think Seton Hall was a team that a lot of people looked at that way. And they were a team that had a, a really good road record. Didn't have as good a home record as they should have given the talent that they had. Maybe mentally sometimes tried to let the, the, the home crowd win it for them and, and, and relaxed. But instead, they, you know, when they went on the road, they were really competitive and really tough. And, and I think having playmakers, too, really helps you. Having guys uh, like Kansas had a great road record. They only lost one road game last year. And having a Devon Dotson really helped. Having a Cassius Winston really helped. Uh, for Villanova, uh, having reliability at the point guard position really helped. I think all of those, uh, all of those teams had that guy who could take control of the offense uh, and make sure that everything, everybody was calm when they needed to be calm, cool things down. Or, you know, when the, when the moment called for it, they could go make a play. Uh, Oregon did not have a great road record last year, but when they were playing at Michigan, uh, they won the road game because Peyton Pritchard said, I'm not letting us lose this. It's not happening. And he just started to, to attack, attack, attack. I think he scored 13 or 14 consecutive points at one juncture in the game late. And so having that kind of guy with the ball in his hands can really help you. And, you know, we talked a week ago about what Robert Finnessy can be. And I still, I'm a, I'm a believer. I, 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 I don't think that we've seen everything he has. Uh, some of it health, some of it, uh, you know, maybe chemistry. I, I still think that he can be, do I think he's Cassius Winston? No, I don't think he's a first team All-America player, but do I think he can be a first or second 
team all Big Ten player? Yeah, I think he can. Obviously, he has to play much better, but I think he has it in him. So you mentioned some qualities there, and Robert Finnessy. Besides Robert Finnessy, does does Indiana have that mental toughness uh, coming back next year? Uh, is that something that advances with experience? Uh, because eight of the top nine uh, rotational guys are coming back, plus you add some real tough competitive uh, freshmen. And I, I add to that um, – the closer you kind of mentioned that someone to go get a bucket. Uh, that's what Illinois did with, with IU. Uh, they gave him the ball and he was able to win games. So does in, you mentioned the, the, the playmaker, someone to calm down and run the show in Robert Finnessy. Uh, does Indiana have that mental toughness overall? And who would you say would be a closer next year to help Indiana get better on the road? You know, I think that that what I talked about before about not being there yet, I, I don't think they've displayed that yet that they have that, quality. I mean, uh, that Maryland game was what early February uh, uh, that they, that they had the game and they let it get away. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't, I, you know, that, that was an example of a team that needed to play more mentally strong down the final four minutes offensively took a, I think it, I'm not going to say who it was that took the shot, but there was a shot. I think taken. it was Al Durham took a quick shot. Yeah. That's the one. And a half or something. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 that, you know, you, it was it was a quick trigger shot uh, with a with a six point lead, and when you should have been, you know, if it was a layup, it's a layup. But it was a jump shot guarded. It was you know that kind of thing. Those are the things that you have to learn from. And I, I think that we've talked a lot of times about the various guys on the team who can who can get better from that standpoint. And I think the one guy that I'm not going to put any of that on uh, because he was only a freshman. But now, you know, coming back as a sophomore with significant talent and significant expectations, and I don't mean from us, I mean from him. I mean, he wants to be a pro. He believes he's a pro, and he probably is. Almost certainly is a pro, but to be a good one, I mean, he has to be able to say, okay, I'm getting this done the way Jalen Smith did in that game. And that has to be traced next year uh, for Indiana to be what it is capable of being, what it should be. And I, 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 I really like Trace's game. I, I think he will be that. I, I've liked him from the first time I saw him at the Peach Jam before his senior year. Uh, really fell in love with what uh, he's capable of doing. And so, uh, yeah, I, I think that it, I think it'll come, but I don't think they're there yet. And that's why, you know, Maui is important for them. Uh, you know, what they, if they get in Gavit, what they have in that game, you know, what they're asked to do and, and what they're capable of finishing is important for them uh, that, you know, that, that first month is a really important month for Indiana because there'll be so many challenges and maybe only one or two of them in advantage situations playing at home, I mean. And so they're going to have to be physically and mentally tough to do well in the series of challenges that they're likely to face before they, you know, before they even get to, uh, to the middle of December. Yeah, I'm personally counting on the experience, um, plus a little push from, you know, I don't think the freshmen will have a major impact, but they're all competitive, uh, and that'll um, hopefully, you know, encourage everyone to increase their mental toughness enough, because Indiana has to play better on the road in the Big Ten uh, to move up to standings, That that's for sure. So, Mike, I'm just going to end up here asking you a couple personal questions about venues. We talked about toughness playing on the road. Um when you when you say that you like a venue, is it a from a 
a working aspect? What's best for you as a sports writer, or is there different ones for a fan? But but what are your what are the toughest venues or the best venues in the Big Ten for you uh, to go visit, um, or maybe teams to play? However you want to take that. And then are there some favorites around the country that uh, you've really enjoyed covering in in your time of uh, covering college basketball? Well, you know, as uh, media seating has evolved over the course of the last 10 to 15 years, it's changed your perspective a little bit. I mean, the first time I went to Mackey, I believe was 2006. It was Robbie Hummel's freshman year. I think that was my first trip there. Um, And then we sat down on the floor, that lowered floor below the floor. So you could really feel it coming down on you, the sound from the paint crew and all that. And it really made an impression upon me that you don't get quite the same now that we're up in a, you know, what we get is still certainly a good seat and you can still see the floor and all that, but you don't feel what you felt in those days. And so from the, from my standpoint, you know, you have to sort of judge it based on at the best case scenario. And so for me, what it was then was Mackey was really an impressive place to go see a game and, and to feel that crowd energy just roll onto you. And, and you could tell why it made an impact on the opposition. Uh, you know, in, I, I have been to the rack um, and this, it, I haven't been there in 30 years, but when I covered Duquesne back in 88, 89, one of, one of Rutgers most recent NCAA tournament appearances was kind of launched in a game that I covered. They hadn't been much, just sort of playing. And then all of a sudden they just turned it on. They won a bunch in a row. And that game was the one that started it. Uh, Bob Wenzel put on a press and I think he caught something that day. And you, and I, again, you see, you, you have always sat up at, at the rack. It, it, it's never been a floor seating arrangement. So, but you could sort of feel what, why that's a difficult place to play for the opposition because it's really compact. You know, the seats are right on top of the floor. It's not that big. The roof is low. And so it really contains the sound. So I, why Rutgers is that good at home, not a surprise to me at all, because I, even though I've never been on the floor for that, I've seen how really contained the sound is, and it's, it's pretty impressive. Uh, you know, the, the, there aren't very many bad. I mean, Wisconsin is a beautiful arena. The Breslin Center is really cool. Assembly Hall, very unique. I, I like Assembly Hall much better now as a spectator, not for, you know, as a, as a consumer of the game, I guess I should say. When I was younger, maybe 25, 30 years ago, when they had that low camera position, I hated games at Assembly Hall because you couldn't see anything. Since they fixed that, rearranged it, and got a camera position now where you can actually see the game, it's much better. And then from a standpoint of going down there, it's a very cool place to be. I've sat in a lot of different areas uh, on the floor back uh, when I went to an IU Michigan state game, probably around 2001, something like that, you know, in the, in the end zone, uh, they, what they now call the penalty box in the corner end zone in the, in the upper end zone beneath the banners. I mean, they've had us all over the place. And then there's that, that, that strip of seats that are right above the benches uh, where the radio guys sit. I've been there. And it's it's always a cool place to go to. I, I really do enjoy Assembly Hall. Um, from a, from a national standpoint, when I've been a, I, I've I've been asked to uh, vote in panels about you know best arena in college basketball. 
I mean, I will, you know, I will die on the hill that Allen Fieldhouse is the best. Uh, if I always tell college basketball fans, if they ever have a chance, you know, bucket list kind of deal, try to go to a game at Allen Fieldhouse. It is just, uh, it's a, especially a Saturday afternoon game where the, the sun doesn't come shining in through like it used to because they blocked it off a little bit for TV. They sort of opaqued, no, or trans made the, the end zone seats, trans, end zone windows translucent. But when the sun used to come in, it was really something to see. Uh, and it's still, a, it, it's the, the, the fans there are tremendous. Uh, I, I, I really love it there. Cameron Indoor Stadium is very cool, but it's not Allen Fieldhouse. It's, that it, 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 that's just the best. And as my, my colleagues, Dave Revson and Steve Bardo, demonstrated when they did the Iowa-Penn State game this year at the Palestra, the Palestra is awesome. I mean, I, I talked to John Feinstein a couple weeks ago to, uh, for an interview over his book, uh, The Backroads to March, and he has a lot of copy in that book about the Palestra because the, the book is about basically mid-majors, low-majors, and what they go through to try to get to the tournament. And he, he, he said that uh, his wife uh, once said that if he ever, if she ever can't find John for an extended period of time, she'll call the cops and send him to the Palestra because he'll probably be there. It's a, it's a great building. It has like a museum on the concourses of, of basketball and Philadelphia basketball history. Highly recommend a game there if you can do it. And especially, uh, uh, you know, when I, I went there once, in 1986 or 87, I think it was 80, yeah, it was 86, 87, so it would have been February of 87. I was doing a story for the Pittsburgh paper about Doug West, who was from Altoona, which was about an hour and a half from Pittsburgh. So he's kind of semi-local. And so I went and I'd covered a practice. And then the next day I was going to see them play St. Joe's. And I walked in and Joe Giuliano, who's still with the Philadelphia Inquirer, terrific sports writer said, uh, what are you doing here? And I said, well, I'm doing a story about Doug West. And he said, oh, he said, so you ever been to one of these St. Joe's Villanova games? I said, no. He says, oh my gosh, what you're in for. Now, remember, Villanova was headed to the NIT that year and St. Joe's, I think, ended up winning 11 games. And it was the most ferocious game I've ever seen in terms of the crowd. I mean, it was, uh, the place was packed. The fans were you know, we're all over each other and, you know, in a good way, you know, not, but I mean, it was just, the ferocity was unbelievable between two teams that had zero chance of making the NCAA tournament. I will never forget that. They call it the Holy War. Uh, I, they don't usually play it now at the Palestra because they want to be on campus, but I, that was one of the most amazing games that I've ever seen. And the Palestra certainly added to the atmosphere. Well, Mike, that's one of, that's, both of those are on my bucket list. Uh, I coach high school basketball, so it's sometimes hard to, to get out for a weekend and, and go travel. But at some point, uh, I am going to make it to the Palestra and to Allen Fieldhouse. But we thank you for taking time on, on this Monday to talk a little bit of scheduling philosophy and, and how Indiana fits into uh, next year. We hope you continue to be safe, uh, and we will uh, talk to you uh, next week. Sounds great. Thanks very much, Brian. All right. Thanks, Mike. That's Mike DeCourcy from uh, the Big Ten Network, Sporting News and Fox. Go read his stuff. It's really, really solid. Make sure you're uh, connecting with uh, the Assembly Call radio on Thursday night. Join us at the community. Go to assemblycall.com and 
backslash community. Uh, we have a lot of interaction and meetings going on in the community. We just like to help Indiana basketball fans pass this time and the offseason in discussing Indiana basketball. So we'll see you uh, next week. Thanks for watching. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player fine. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player fine.